You ready? Okay, very good. All right, we're going to go ahead and continue on our uh, verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Uh, If you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, and before we get started, we'll go ahead and open with uh, a word of prayer. Father and Lord, we thank you this morning for this time that we have for your word, uh, for the the fact that we have a Savior, and that uh, this day we can remember uh, the resurrection. And so, Father, we pray for this study. Pray that we recognize it for what it is, and that is, is the Word of God. It's our authority for our daily living. So bless this time that we have. We bless the services to follow. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 1. For those who are listening online, uh, if you've got any questions, if you're on YouTube anyway, uh, you can uh, input those questions in through YouTube. If you're on Facebook, I'm not talented enough to watch both at the same time. So Here we are, Romans chapter 1. Last uh, couple of weeks, we've gone over really the introduction of the book of Romans, and we've talked about how important this book is to the church, the body of Christ. This is the first book that is specifically written in Scripture. It's not the first one that was written, but the first one in the canon that is written specifically to the body of Christ. Uh, the book of Acts, we've studied that. It's a historical book that that, the, um, that Luke gives us the events, and it's, it's very helpful when it comes to especially finding out when different things take place in Paul's epistles. But when it comes to the actual doctrine, uh, the doctrine that's written to you, this is why I tell people uh, over and over again, you know, if you lead somebody to Christ, uh, tell them to read the book of Romans first. That's the book that they need to go to. That's the book that they should study. Read it once, read it twice, read it three times, and after you've read it about four or five times, then move on to uh, Ephesians and go back to read Romans again. So. That's kind of, kind of my approach because in the book of Romans, you have the foundation of so many different things um, as it relates to your standing, man's standing apart from God, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The fi- fact that we are justified uh, now, all of these things we find in the book of Romans. So it's a very, very important uh, book for, for what it is that uh, we need to understand today in this day of grace. And so... We're picking up here. I think we left off in verse 16. I don't expect to get too far today. Again, we encourage conversation in in these uh, Bible studies in Sunday school for edification of the church. And so uh, just for context, I'll read a few verses back, starting in verse 12. He says, uh, verse 11, for I long to see you. Remember, Paul has not been to Rome yet, though the church itself would have been started by people he knew who would have learned from him. Uh, They went to Rome and started the church. He himself hadn't been there yet. And so he says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but I was hindered. And I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. We talked about the fact that Paul was hindered both by God into going certain places. He was told by the Spirit not to go into certain places. But then also here what Paul is talking about is 
Paul is talking about how Satan got in his way. Anybody feel like Satan gets in your way sometimes? Yeah. Satan does get in our way. Um, and, and Paul had that issue. Paul um, had things going on that, that prevented him from getting there. He says in verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Keep in mind also, it's been a few few weeks since we, we talked about the, the first few work, uh, verses. Um, one of the things that's distinct about the book of Romans, uh, again, knowing that the book of Acts is a, a historical book that's written by uh, Luke, but when it comes to the Gospels, when it comes to the Old Testament, the, the book of Romans is the first one that's not written specifically to who? To Israel. Genesis, even though it contains events about before Israel was started, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses wrote it. It was written to Israel. Here, the, the book of Romans is written to all those be at Rome. So if, in, in, even in that essence, it is unique. It's the first time we have God writing to everyone who would listen, all those who be at Rome. And so he says, as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. And he says in verse, verse 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so in these two verses, verses 16 and 17, we'll probably spend most of, most of our morning if we, get, if we get past that, uh, so be it. But, but here he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, again, Paul is making the point, as he just made, made above, that I have longed to come to you. I'm not ashamed of this gospel, as, as though he has some reason to be ashamed of it. He longs to preach it to them. This is what we just read in, in verses 9 through 11, is he longs to preach it to them. He's not ashamed to go to this big city of Rome. You know, Rome being the biggest, really, center of the, of the known world at that time. Um, can't imagine, really, what it would have looked like in Paul's day, but I would imagine um, quite extraordinary, even compared to some of the other cities that, that he had been to. But he's not ashamed to go to this big city and take on um, even the rulers of Rome and preach this gospel. He's not ashamed of it at all, is what he's telling us. By the time of this writing, I want you to think about it. By the time of this writing, Paul had been stoned in Galatia. Go back to Acts 14. He had been thrown in prison in Philippi. That's in Acts 16. He's been chased out of Thessalonica in Acts 17. He was smuggled out of Berea in Acts 17. And he was mocked and rejected and and laughed at in Athens. All of those things before he wrote these words. So is there any wonder he can say, I'm not ashamed. He had already been through all of those things. I'm not ashamed to come, come there and preach it. He's been stoned. He's been laughed at. He's been mocked. He's thrown in prison, chased. All of these things by this time. And he's, oh yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because instead of being stated in the, the positive, like, 
you know, I'm, I'm proud of the gospel. He's saying I'm not ashamed of it. So uh, obviously there must have been a lot of Jewish uh, believers who ridiculed him and mocked him and, and did everything uh, sure. in that case. Uh, because otherwise he would be, you know, gloating uh, about it because of the victory over sin uh, that, that gets accomplished there. Sure. That's a good point because, like we said, he's he, oftentimes the, the trouble he came into was started by those of the circumcision, those who he was ultimately contending with. Um, what does he say? He says to the Jews, it's a stumbling block, right? And the idea of, of Christ crucified and risen again is a stumbling block to the Jews. Why? Because they stumbled over the stumbling block. They missed the Messiah. They rejected their king, all of these things. And so he faced great um, opposition in all these places. Matter of fact, um, Jews were, were following him from one city to another to see that he'd get thrown out of that city too. I mean, they, And again, keep in mind, it's, it's not like hopping in your car and driving to Sarasota. I mean, we're talking about walking maybe 10 miles, maybe 40 miles to get to that place, so much so that they were so much against Paul and what he was set out to do that they would actually do this, to follow him and to get him uh, rejected. And so uh, whenever he says, I'm not ashamed, um, he, he truly can understand uh, what it is. And whenever he says it's the power of God under salvation, uh, which we'll look at here in a moment, that's the reason, because Paul truly understood what the gospel was. And so that's why it's, it's important that we understand what it is. And so um, look at uh, Philippians chapter 1 with me. Philippians chapter 1. <coughs> Kevin and Cindy... We're online, and Tom is online. Hello, you guys. Good to, to see you guys. Philippians chapter 1, here we see Paul talk about the fact that he, the gospel, he goes about for the defense of the gospel. To him, he's not ashamed of it, and, and Christ is going to be magnified by his death and his life. To him, the gospel was really his life. Uh, and if you know uh, Paul's backstory as Saul, then you can truly begin to understand um, how much Paul could appreciate this. Look at uh, Philippians 1, beginning in verse 17. Um, he says, But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. He's talking about those who, who preach Christ um, not for the the best of, of intentions. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so, so now also Christ shall be magnified, in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, Paul was about 
the defense of the gospel. Paul was about Christ being magnified in his life or even in his death. And so when Paul says that he's not ashamed to come to, to, come to Rome and preach the gospel, I mean, that's the continual story of Paul's ministry is the fact that he's not ashamed of this because he understands what it truly is and how it literally is the power of God unto salvation. Look at 2 Timothy with me. Here he tells Timothy, tells Timothy not to be ashamed as he is not. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12. Now verse 11. Second Timothy, Timothy chapter 1 verse 11. He says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. But what is he suffering? What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's in prison, right? And he's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. For this cause I offer suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and have persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so Paul was fully persuaded in his mind in the power um, that comes into the gospel. The power, how it is the power of God unto salvation even to the point of him being thrown in prison, he's telling other people, don't be ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what I've, I've been doing. And so, whatever he says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I mean, that sounds simple. Like everything, I talk about this all the time, how don't let it just roll off your tongue without thinking of, of, of the impact of why that's in the scripture. Paul lived the life of not being ashamed of the gospel. And here, you know, we see through the rest of the scriptures, us even though Paul might be talking to Timothy, don't be ashamed, how much more should we not be ashamed of the gospel? Is it not the power of God to salvation for us too? It is. And so we shouldn't be ashamed. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I know that it's difficult. Maybe you're at your job, maybe you're at your work, and you don't want to speak up around other people, or maybe it's Resurrection Sunday and you're around friends and family who come over, and you know what? You're told you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion, so... I'm not going to talk about the gospel. We've been li- we live in a world now where we're told to be almost ashamed of this gospel. Yeah. Um, the, uh, God's word never comes back void. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse comes to mind, particularly in the case of Paul. And when you were talking about um, how he was followed and, and persecuted and attacked by others, but he originally, as Saul, was uh, a facilitator of that quite mm-hmm. often. And um, how God still used him, even though he was vehemently opposed uh, to Christianity and and Christ's story. And um, it just gives me, you know, hope, even for myself, at at learning that about him. And um, the other thing was, uh, you mentioned about prisons and how he'd been incarcerated and tortured and and, uh, punished for his, uh, persecuted for his beliefs. Even I think after Romans, he spent time in Mammerheim. I think in the in the uh, just a, a heinous uh, uh, dungeon type thing under the city in Rome, as, as a sort of a reward for his trying to spread and teach the word at that time. So right. 
he just lived a tortured life for his uh, beliefs and sure. standing up. Yeah, so no, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Um, uh, yeah, how, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Right. And Paul did. Yeah. And they sure did. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, that's, no, that's even better. So, and, yeah. Well, I think, I think Paul probably reminded himself sometimes of what he did before he was saved to make that okay. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I was killing Christians. So if I get hurt a little bit, if I get tortured, you know what? It's okay because of what I did. You know, not that he has to pay for that, but that it's okay because you know other people died. I mean, Timothy died, so I, I think he just he probably considered himself as fortunate <coughs> as he get with everything he done. And you, you, you're talking about Stephen, right? Just to clarify. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. I am talking about okay. Stephen. <laughs> okay. I, I, I assumed that, but yeah. I just wanted okay. to clarify. Okay. No, I mean, you're exactly right. I think Paul understands, which is why he says things like, I am the least of the apostles. But then at the same time, you know, maybe not at the same time, but later he'll talk about, in no way am I less than the least of the apostles. You know, so he understands positionally, he's not inferior to the other apostles, but he knows, I think, um, the, the, the fact that, I don't know, I don't think that he's so much... Um, just like us, I don't think that we should so much dwell on our sins. Those sins have been forgiven. They've been paid for. But I do think that Paul understood, and this is what I think that really came down to it, the, the grace that was given to him, and he truly understood what he deserved and the fact that grace came. I, I think that he truly appreciated and knew, um, knew that, what he deserved. And so, uh, But going back here to Romans here, he talks about, uh, again, this idea that it is the power of God under salvation. What is it? I guess we better, if it's the power of God under salvation, we better know what it is, right? The gospel is the power of God under salvation. So in other words, whenever Paul talks about that I wasn't sent to, to baptize, but I was sent to preach the gospel, um, what we, we better understand that it's not as much as we love fellowship, as much as we, I think that scriptures calls us to fellowship with like-minded believers, calls us to, to edify the body as much as we're, we're called to do a number of things. You know, it's a good thing to put money in the offering plate, but none of those things are the power of God unto salvation. There's one thing that is the power of God unto salvation, and that's the gospel. Um, so Romans 1, I believe Paul had not been <laughs> to prison yet. Correct. So... Uh, when he was saying, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, uh, he wasn't then, and he wasn't ashamed of it after he was imprisoned. Uh, well, he wasn't in prison at Rome. He had been in prison. He had been in prison at uh, Philippi. So, But didn't, wasn't that written after Romans? Uh, no, Romans would not? have been written from Corinth about the timeline. If you follow, one of the best ways to do it is just follow the book of Acts. Rome, Romans would have been written around the events of Acts chapter 20. And so when you read the things that took place prior to Acts chapter 20, those are the things that took place prior to this being written, which is why I started off by saying the idea that he had been stoned in Galatia, thrown in prison in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Berea, and mocked in Athens. All of those things took place before this was written. 
Now, he hadn't been prisoned in Rome yet, so. Right, but, um, yeah, I, my timeline must be off a little bit, so I'll... Uh, yeah, so he had, been, he had been in prison um, in Philippi. Matter of fact, go there, Acts chapter 16, 23 and 24. And then, and, and we don't have the time to do it right now. We can do a certain, if you want, uh, we talked about it in the introduction about when Romans was, was written, um, which would have been, like I said, um, from Corinth um, in about Acts chapter 20. Look at um, Acts chapter 16. Here we see it says... Uh, Verse 22, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And so um, then we see later that uh, Paul and Silas is to, in verse 25, talking about um, they've been in prison. Like I said, those are events that took place before um, Paul writes this. And so... Um, but in any sense, whenever he talks about not being ashamed, uh, I think Paul pretty quickly, even though he didn't fully understand all the doctrine, the grace of God, I think pretty quickly by the time that G, whenever, by the time um, he says, who art thou, Lord, on the road to Damascus, and he says, I'm Jesus, I think pretty quickly the light went on in, in Paul's mind. Uh-oh. You know, and probably knew. So, Derek. Even to the extent that he was uh, teaching and, Oh yeah. There's several stories. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, back to Romans here when it comes to this power of God into salvation. This word power is where we in the Greek is where we get our word dynamite from. Literally talking about this idea of an explosive power. Okay? So don't let that word power, you know, be minimized. Um, again, it is it is literally this power, uh, literally miraculous power. Look at Acts chapter 19. We see the same, same word used here in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Instead of using the word power, it uses a different word. See if you can pick it out. Acts 19, 11, it says, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Um, miracles you would understand to be the power of God, wouldn't you? You know, when all of a sudden Paul is doing miracles and Paul attributes that to God, he's attributing that to the power of God. Nobody, nobody mistakes whenever, again, you know, Paul raises the dead or the 12 apostles in, in Jesus' earthly ministry raise the dead or, or do special miracles. Keep in mind when, when Paul says it's the power of God, he literally means it is the power of God. And so... Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We see this powerful gospel. We, we talked about this a few minutes ago. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, how it's a stumbling block to some. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <coughs> verse 17. It says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Why? How can it be made of none effect? See, if you're trying to persuade people with logic and you don't give them the gospel, 
you know. It's the gospel that's the power. It's in the gospel that salvation has its faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not your own words. I'm not saying you shouldn't reason with people, but keep in mind, Paul is the same one that it says in Scripture that he reasoned with people with the word of God. The word of God is reasonable, and it is, it is something that we should use. I think too often we try to convince people with our own words instead of letting, letting the word of God do its, do its thing. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. That's not a compliment to the Greeks, by the way. Okay? But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. And we saw that example of the Greeks with the foolishness of it because when you go to Acts chapter 17, when Paul is in Athens, he be, remember, they want to hear what he has to say. Hey, hey, come on, guy, you've got this new thing. We want to hear about it. And they listened to him until he got to what? The resurrection. Then they said, that's foolishness. That's what he means. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. But to the Greeks, resurrection? Oh, that's foolishness. Verse 24, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And it just goes on, and I could read forever and ever on that. But, but you, under, you have to understand, again, it's the gospel itself that is the power of God unto salvation. Um, there's power um, in this word, uh, whether it's uh, creation. And what I mean by power in this word, um, whether it's God's power. I'm trying to put this in, out of my mind and into, into words here. How did God create the world? He spoke it. Right. He spoke it into existence. There's power in God's word. I mean, we think we list, we hear it, and, and, and we, we recognize that. But literally, remember what Jesus, um, whenever he's being taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, all he says is, I am he, and what happens? I mean, imagine. There's that power in God's word. And so whether it's creation, whether it's the gospel when it comes to salvation, or even when it comes to what man doesn't like to talk about judgment. Look at Psalms with me, Psalm 33. Psalm verse 8, Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Yeah, amen. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. And, and it goes on here. And, and again, we have to understand 
Um, there is literal power in God's word. Um, so. Pastor, yeah. Just, this just came to mind, but you know, we talk uh, a lot about questions we have when we get to heaven. Sure. And the power of the word. I really want to find out what Jesus taught Paul for the three years in <laughs> Arabia because, you know, to have that opportunity with the resurrected Christ one-on-one uh, -on -one for three years, uh, mm -hmm. no wonder Paul was so transformed uh, from where he was uh, before the road to Damascus uh, to after. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? I mean... I can't imagine, and I think that's one of the reasons why people love the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is because we understand who Jesus is, and we, we can envision him sitting there around a campfire talking with the apostles and his disciples. Uh, and then we see something like the road to Emmaus, where Jesus, right after his uh, resurrection, and you got those two men uh, leaving uh, who are, are de dejected and saddened because they don't understand what took place and all of a sudden some guy comes up next to him and it turns out to be God himself and it says at the end of that that he opened up the scriptures it's like another bible study one of the great bible studies that ever took place and Tim brings up maybe one of the one of the great ones of all time we don't think of it that way like we do with the 12 apostles with the, with with uh with uh Jesus before he died but it it's Jesus physically resurrected doing bible studies with the apostle Paul you want to talk about a Bible study that you can sign me up for. You know, I do want to see that one. You know, I, I yeah, I, I think that would be <laughs> right up there at the top of the list to find out about how that, how that was. So good point there. And so here we see again that this, um, there's power in God's word. And when God spoke, it, 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 when he speaks, it comes to be. And whenever he makes an offer, um, and again, we talk about the gospel is God's peace offering with mankind. There is no other way to have peace with God except for through the gospel. And so uh, that's why Ephesians 1 gives us that. Ephesians 1.13 gives us that, that mechanics of how salvation works. People, they want to devise all kinds of complicated things. Let me ask them into my heart and, and do all these kind of things. Let me give you a hint. Ephesians 1.13 tells you exactly what it is. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You trusted and believed in it, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The end. I'm not sure how to word this, but uh, everything was created by him just speaking it. Kind of points to how serious sin is because it took the blood of his son mm. to take care of it. Well, I see what you're saying. He couldn't just obviously speak it out yeah, of existence. Yeah, forget it. You know. Which comes into. You know, the idea of him being the just and the justifier and that type of thing. And that's one of the things that people, uh, you want to talk about a cool thing to study regarding the gospel, is the, is the idea that um, throughout all of humanity, I mean, David asks the question, he talks about not knowing how is man going to be just with God. People like to think that, oh, they looked forward to the cross, you, you know, in the Old Testament times. They looked forward to the idea of redemption, but they didn't understand the cross. They didn't know about the cross. It was when once, once the cross and the resurrection happened, and it's once Paul comes along that the world can finally, whenever he talks about the mystery 
one of those mysteries is how God could be just and the justifier. In other words, he justified us. He, in other words, how could, he, how could he redeem mankind at the same time still be just? Well, the answer is the cross, is the gospel. And so understanding even, um, even that aspect of it is, is, to me, a phenomenal thing. So Romans 1 then goes on to talk about, uh, in verse 17, that therein, meaning the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And this righteousness, um, again, sometimes I think we overcomplicate things. Righteousness, just think of the word rightness. Rightness, okay? Um, the rightness of God is revealed through the gospel. Not just the idea that you've been made righteous, like 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, but the rightness of God is revealed through the gospel. Just like we just got done talking about being the just and the justifier. God couldn't just say, oh, we'll forget about it. No big deal. But God's righteousness to take, to take sin seriously, so serious that he doesn't just say, we'll forget about it. He says, no, it's going to cost my son to pay for this. See what I'm saying? The rightness of God is revealed in this gospel. The rightness of him to be just to justify. And actually, whenever it comes to this word right, uh, righteousness, the word justify and justice comes from the exact same root word. So they're very much related to each other. Uh, you can't have righteousness without there really being a justness, a just uh, justice. Um, you wouldn't consider a judge who uh, allows crime to continue, you wouldn't consider that a righteous judge, would you? Or a just judge? Nobody would, especially if that crime was committed against you or your family. And that judge just washes his hands of it. You wouldn't consider that just. So is it correct to say when he calls us righteous that we're in right standing with God? Yes. We've been made accepted into the Beloved. And so, yes, and that's whenever he talks about, um, and, and that's why it's so important to understand positionally who you are in Christ today, which is why nothing, you know, can separate us from the love of God, which is why he can say that he cannot deny himself when he's talking about you. Because to deny you, because you're positionally, you're just, you've been made right with God, you're in Christ, for him to deny you would be to deny himself because we've been literally been clothed in his righteousness. So. Jesus has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, mm-hmm. sanctification, and redemption. Yep, yep. And, and those, so, so those, those attributes that he has have been placed onto us. And so that's, again, that's one of the, the, the marvelous things about this book of Romans, because you're not going to find this stuff before here. You're not going to find that in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe, is, is it chapter 6. Um, God talking to Moses and Moses talking to the people of Israel. He says, the law is your righteousness. Paul says, the law today, what? It is, is nothing but clanging. I forgot the exact wording he uses. Yeah. Kind of as I'm looking at this too, um, the gospel 
it not only shows the righteousness of God and, and it's the action of action involved for our salvation through faith but it also does the opposite it shows um, the need right there you know um, I don't know how I'm explaining this like it's revealing the righteousness of God and then um, it's revealing the need but to those who don't believe it's also if they've heard it it's also revealing to them um, their unrighteousness too so just the power in it is not just salvation it's both sides of the coin it's showing um, why you need it and condemning those who don't accept it sure so you mean like the truth how it reveals the lie right so yeah, yeah. and so yeah uh, I would agree that's a good point and so um, Job chapter 9 verse 2 and I can read it to you or you can go there but if you're taking notes, I would write it down when it comes to this idea because Job, not knowing what was going to happen, uh, he asks a question. Verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth. He's answering his friends. But how should man be just with God? Well, guess what you have? You have the answer that Job didn't have. And that comes in Romans. Uh, he, he, for thousands of years, men did not truly understand how righteousness was going to work. And that's why I say the idea, people understood they had the law, and by faith that they followed the law, um, God accepted that offering, and he covered their sin. But they still didn't grasp the idea, you know, you know how those, the blood of bulls and goats was going to pay for them. All they knew is, is by faith God said to do this, so I should do it. By, by faith, Noah built a boat. By faith, Abraham left, left his family behind. By faith, Abraham believed God when God said that I'm going to make out of you and your 90-year-old uh, wife a great nation. And so, um, it, again, it's, it's in here where we have this, this righteousness revealed. How is it? Um, and actually, go to Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25. You see, when we're talking about, just piggyback on the, on the idea of, of how justness and rightness works, God hated um, injustice. None of us like that. I mean, who likes it? Like, you know, you know I'm still somewhat used to Florida, you know, the idea of going to, you know, pay your taxes or, or something like that and you're standing in line, you know. You remember when you go to the DMV back in, in Missouri or whatever and you got these big old long lines because you're trying to pay your personal property tax and have this so you can license your car and you got this big old long line? Who likes the idea of someone cutting in line from you? Why don't you like that? You don't like injustice. Nobody likes that kind of stuff. God hates that. God hates injustice. And so how is it that man who is a sinner can be forgiven and God still be just? Look here at Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 1. If there be a controversy between men 
and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall, then, I'm sorry, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. This is God's instructions for how the nation of Israel and their judges were to judge. Justify the righteous, but also condemn the wicked. Now, Romans says there's none righteous, no, not one. So if God is going to condemn the wicked, who's going to stand first in line? Because we should all be in that line, right? All of us should be condemned. So how is it, again, that he can justify? This is what the book of Romans, this is what the gospel teaches us. Look at Proverbs. Look at Proverbs. Chapter 17. Verse 5. Again, you can learn more about the character of God and understanding that he does not like people being taken advantage of. He does not like people who do evil. Proverbs 17.5, here it says, Whosoever mocks the poor reproaches his maker. And he that is glad in calamities shall not be unpunished. Talking about mankind, this, this is God's character and who he is. And so, again, now turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 10, the verse I quoted to you. We have Romans 3 that says 10, that says there's none righteous, no, not one. The gospel is the answer to how God can be just and the justifier because of the cross of Christ. The gospel is the one that reveals now, look at verse 28 of Romans chapter 3, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we can understand that. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 5. But to him that works not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. One of my favorite verses, which is why I say it all the time. Second Corinthians 5.21. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So in other words, God took on our unrighteousness so we could take on his rightness. You have his rightness, which is why he will never leave or forsake you because you can't do a sin now that will cause him to walk away. If you could have done a sin that caused him to walk away, then you would have already done a sin that would have caused him not to save you in the first place. And so when we think of the idea of this justness, this righteousness, um, we've been made righteous, we've been justified, and this power is permanent. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 21, and then we'll, like I thought, we wouldn't get through two verses. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Romans 5 1 is what I meant to say. Romans 5 1. And this kind of goes back to 
Will and Eve was, was talking about, what is our standing with God today? Do you have any reason to fear him today? No. Do you have a reason to all have be in awe of him? That type of fear? Sure. Yes. But do you have, do you have any reason to fear? I, I firmly believe that God is not in the business of judging right now. Right now, it's a day of grace. He's not sending hurricanes. He's not sending earthquakes. He's not doing all those kind of things because America is doing all kinds of bad things. When God's in the business of judging again, the world will know it. Amen. The world's going to know it. Right now, it's a peace offer to all whosoever will simply believe. Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, past tense, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to understand Romans 2.16, a couple more verses. That there's a day coming where God is going to judge man. And it's by this gospel that Paul says is the power of God into salvation. It's this gospel that God is going to judge man by. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. He says, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. That's how powerful this gospel is. It is the gospel itself that separates you. You're either going to be in Adam or in Christ. It is the gospel that, that determines if a person is either righteous or unrighteous. That's what it means by it being the power of God. It's that dividing line, that great dividing line. So any other questions or comments? Next week we'll pick up in, in verse uh, 17 or 18. Would you agree that because we do see a lot of disasters and stuff going on. Is that the earth groaning and moaning yes. for it yep. to be set right? Just like I think that um, most of the time, whenever we, we as people, even believers, do something sinful, there's going to be a natural consequence to it. Um, the earth we're seeing is, is groaning, the natural consequence of, of, the, of the curse, and also the natural consequence of the flood, you know. There's a lot made, I think, uh, needlessly over ice ages. And I personally believe in a young earth. And, and I believe that when we look at what's going on, what people want to call about global warming and, and these, these cycles that are going through, um, I think most of all, all that we're seeing is just the ramifications of the flood. The flood, the flood caused more damage to this earth than people really give it credit for. What we're seeing taking place when it comes to, to, to temperatures changing are still an effect, I believe, of that flood. And so, yes, even the creation, uh, the curse that took place at the creation, this groaning that's taken place in the creation um, is, is, is also part of that. Tim? Just, um, we didn't really discuss it uh, too much, but when it says in verse 17, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Mm -hmm. That's uh, faith to faith uh, can be interpreted... Uh, know differently uh how, what's your take uh on what paul's saying there the short answer which i'm if you're new i'm never very good at <laughs> the short answers um faith the faith is talking about the faith of christ to our faith in christ you know you can get into the whole idea of objective faith versus subjective faith and and, and it can get rather complicated but really to me the simplest aspect of it is 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 Christ is faithful. Amen? He's faithful. From faith, his faithfulness. 
Paul talks many times here about the faith, not in Christ, but the faith of Christ. And so um, prepositions matter. Um, And so um, some translations get those prepositions.